Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology, where we talk to the professionals as well as the, the personal stories of people whose lives were changed by having a family through gestational surrogacy or egg donation or sperm donation, as well as to those people who were donors or surrogates and changed other people's lives. Um, I'm Ellen Trackman. I'm here with my sister, Jennifer White. Yay. And just to throw um, crazy um, questions at her, Jennifer, why do you do this? What inspires you? Um, the, the easy short answer is babies. I mean, come on, who doesn't love babies? Ah! Yeah, no, it, it's really and truly that's the end goal. And obviously, then they grow up and they become stinky teenagers. And you know, but they're still cute. But then eventually, like they might have babies too, and then you get grandbabies. I mean, not, that not you're too there yet. No, no, world, not yeah. too soon. <laughs> Please don't wish that on me yet. I know, I, but you know, it is exciting. Like especially surrogacy is oftentimes villainized in the news and so we see you know you everybody loves a train wreck and the bad stories but I have to say this week like we have to give a big like shout out of congratulations yet another celebrity has had a child via surrogacy so congratulations to Robbie Williams and for those Ooh, to say and for those who are in America they have no idea who that is but <laughs> an angel contemplate my faith it's really always wonderful to get to see a positive something out there. And um, congratulations, Yay. Um, and we may actually, and I don't want to tease this too much because it may not happen, but we may have a, a, a minor television celebrity on here in a few weeks. So super exciting. We're getting big time. I'll say it's not, it's not no, Kim Kardashian yet. Not yet. Yet. I've learned I've learned to have a growth mindset for my children's elementary school. Oh, just to good. add yet to things. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. So so maybe one day. But but just always hopefully. add yet. Not, not yet but, but she's welcome anytime. It, to reach out. That's, that's true. Come on, Kim, call us. <laughs> but we do have uh, what I consider a celebrity in like some of the worlds and circles that I travel in uh, that we're interviewing today. So we are talking to Melissa Diaz, who is a huge, huge proponent in the um all of the surrogacy groups on Facebook and all of the advice and matching and all of those groups. She's a, a really big advocate of ethical surrogacy and making sure everybody does things right. And it was really, it's been fun to get to talk to her and get to know her better because she's on top of just being a really incredible advocate. She has probably one of the first times that I have actually full out like had to stop and like stop my own microphone because I was crying so hard. So Melissa has an incredible story and we are really looking forward to hearing it. So please join us talking to Melissa Diaz. Grab the tissues. We are here today with Melissa Diaz and a lot of the time with our guests, I've had the privilege of meeting them in person and not always, but in this case, Melissa, I've had the privilege of meeting many, many, many times on social media and in the electronic sphere, um, but we have not had the pleasure of meeting face to face. But uh, I, I know from my interactions with her that she is an incredible lady and I really am excited to introduce her and let her tell her story. So Melissa. And, Melissa, please. I also have not met you. So I'll just tell you, I assume that you're like 6'2 and like... <laughs> Blind, and I assume you're like a model, and I, I'm very intimidated. By I it. am four 
I'm 4'10", and my natural hair color is brunette. (laughs) But it changes changes a lot. (laughs) That's okay. We're okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, no, but Melissa, please, welcome. We'd love to please introduce yourself a little bit and and tell a little bit about yourself. Okay, so my name is Melissa. I am 41. I live in New Jersey. I've been married for 14 years. I've been with my husband for about... 24 years. <laughs> we met. Oh, congratulations. Nice. We met wow. my junior year of high school. We went to prom together. We, you know, we've endured it all. So, you know, if he could. But it just, it just took you 10 years to propose. No, I had no interest in getting married. I didn't care. <laughs> we were living together. And until we were like, okay, let's have a family. Then we got married. And we just went to the courthouse. Like, I didn't need a big fancy wedding. It was okay. We knew um, I have PCOS. So polycystic ovarian syndrome. So we knew it was going to be a challenge to have a baby. So when we decided. And, and how, how early did you know that? Um, I knew I had PCOS probably my early 20s. And for people who don't know, do you mind saying like how you knew or why you knew and how that affected your life? Um, I knew, well, my periods were very, very irregular. And that was the first sign right there. So... My we, we like to make people uncomfortable by like just diving into periods right away. <laughs> right. I, I talk to everybody about their periods all day. Well, listen, day. I talk to my friends about poop with kids. So, you know, period, yeah, poop, all the same. So, <laughs> right. um, my periods were always irregular. So, as I got a little bit older and I was going to the gynecologist, they started doing more blood work. You know, I was asking questions and it was just, you know, after all the blood work came back, they said, you have PCOS, definitely. So I'm like, okay. So they told, they said to me, you know, it might be harder to get pregnant, but you know, it's definitely, you know, with a little IVF help, you'll get there. Okay, that's right. I was in my early twenties. I, I wasn't worried about getting pregnant in my early twenties. You were you're worried about getting pregnant in your early twenties, right? Certainly the other way around. Yes. Right. That's right. right. The other way, yeah. Right. <laughs> so I was actually probably on the birth control pill just to regulate my period for years. And then it was time to try to have a baby. So my OB started me on Clomid. And he said, let's do three rounds of Clomid. You just jumped straight to Clomid then? You, you just jumped straight into Clomid? Yeah, at my OB, not with the reproductive endocrinologist because, yeah, 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 yeah. when yeah. we knew, you know, it was time and he knew, like, because my periods were so irregular, it was going to affect if I ovulated. So he's like, and I think we had, we were trying for a while, so maybe like six months, not a while, but six months. And um, he said, let's try Clomid. How was Clomid? People tell horror stories. That it's not- it didn't, I got to tell you, um, didn't affect me at all. I had, you know, that's, that's good. Yeah. I mean, good that it wasn't bad, but bad right. that it didn't do what it was supposed so to. So right. we did. We had a guest who said that she didn't want to have sex with her husband, with her, much less with herself, much less with her husband. So she's like, because Clomid made her feel so bad. Oh, really? No, I was like, that's it. And he knew we were on a schedule. So I was like, we have to have sex this day, this day, this day. Like, it's not, it wasn't sex anymore. It was like a job. Like, let's go. Come on. That's exactly right. That is the uh, infertility dance, right? Yeah. I'm like, this is baby making time. Not like, you know, we're not doing anything fun. So I did three rounds of Clomid and each time he increased the dosage and it was nothing. So he said to me, listen, we're not going to play around. He's like, you need to see a reproductive endocrinologist. Okay, great. So I started down the route of, 
you know, infertility. And we started with... And uh, how, how old were you, did you say, at this point? I was, yeah. let's see, 27. Wow. That's still really young. Wow. Yeah. That, and that's so Yeah, young. I want to say maybe I was 27. So we did three rounds of IUIs. And after the third round, and I had follicles, like huge follicles. Like when they were doing the insemination part, he, like my doctors would warn me, listen, if this takes, you're going to have at least twins because I had all these great follicles. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. I was like, great, whatever. (laughs) Twins. So after three rounds of it not working, my RE said to me, listen, and I was paying for everything out of pocket. We have terrific health insurance, but it did not cover anything with fertility. So he said to me, you can keep going, but he said after three rounds, he's like, I feel like it's just a waste. I go to IVF. So I said, okay, I love my Ari. I'm like, okay, we'll go to IVF. So we stood up at the IVF and we did a full round. And I think I ended up with five embryos from that. And we... Right. Five is excellent, yeah. A respectable number. Five is good. Yeah. So Well, I was young, so I thought I'd get more. So we had five embryos and we transferred two... And it didn't take. And then we did a frozen embryo transfer. And that's So you did a fresh embryo transfer. We did the first time. Yes. And then we that didn't take. And we did a frozen embryo transfer to FET. And that took. But I had a miscarriage early on, like even before heartbeat confirmation. We did another IVF cycle. And I had another early miscarriage. And then we did a frozen embryo transfer again, and I was pregnant. And I think we made it, yeah, my numbers were going up and down. Like, they were going crazy. So my Ari brought me in for an earlier ultrasound, and it was, he was positive, it was twins, and one was just going away. So I said, okay, you know, we've been trying. I'll take, I'll take whatever I can get. This is how I feel. And we finally made it to the heartbeat confirmation this time. And I dragged, I'm very independent. I never, I never made my husband come to appointments with me. The only thing he came with was my retrieval because I had to have anesthesia. But otherwise, I'm like, go to work. I do this by myself. My best friend would come with me to transfers because she just like come. But I was always like in the office, like, you know, because usually I went to work right after. So I was not the hold my hand, I need help type of person. I was just like the, you go to work, I'm going to do this and then go to work. <laughs> so he took me for the heartbeat confirmation because I knew if it didn't show up, I'd be a mess. And my doctor's doing it. And I'm like, well... Because there was like silence and you could see it up on the screen, but I couldn't focus. I couldn't do anything. And my husband's like, look up. And I was like, no, I need to hear it. I was like, I need, there has to be. And he's like, it's there. It's healthy. Everything's on track. So I was like, oh my God. I was like, it's like sweating and happy. And, you know, so we went about life. And I think around wow. yeah, 10 weeks, he said, okay, go to your OB. I'm like, okay, great. We went to the OB. Everything was looking good. We did the first trimester screening, and the baby looked great, but the blood work came back all wonky. So they said it's showing signs for Down syndrome, but nothing on the ultrasound showed it. We want to do more blood work. Okay, fine. So we did more blood work. They called me at, it was 4th of July weekend, and it was a Friday my husband was working probably an hour away and said, we would really like you to come in for an amnio. It's showing spina bifida. I'm like, 
So I was like dying and they said, you know, they want you to come in now. They don't want you to wait then because it was like a holiday weekend. They said, you know, we don't, we're not going to call you and give you this news and make you wait. Oh my God. I said, okay. Right. Did you go um, by yourself? I did. I did by myself. I called my husband and he was, and I said, by the time he got home and everything, I was like, forget it. I'm jumping in the shower and I'm going. Cause they said I could come in whenever. Yeah. So I went, I did, I was on the table and I found out that it was a girl. So, and that, that needle, when they show amnios like on movies, that's a crazy needle. Did you see but it? But you know what? I did see it. It didn't bother I said, me. I said to the doctor. That me out. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Good for you. <laughs> I can take a shot, like an intercellular shot with the best of them, but an IV or blood work, that's what freaks me out. That's me over the head. I can't take it. So the doctor came in, he confirmed it was all, and he said to me, I'm looking over everything now, and I can tell you, I can guarantee you, this baby does not have spine bifida. I don't know why this blood work's come back, because I've seen it, you know, in pregnant women. Your baby does not have it. He goes, but I want to do the amio anyway to see what's going on. I said, that's fine. He did it, came back in a week. Everything looked normal. There was no signs of spine bifida. confirmed it was a girl. That was great. In the meantime, my blood pressure was going up. So I was seeing my OB a little bit more frequently. And before I left after the amnio, my blood pressure was up, so they made me wait. Around 17 weeks, I went for a checkup. And this was like a, a mid-checkup because of my blood pressure. And the doctor came in and said, okay, you had protein in your urine this time. She called the MFM and said, you need to go to the hospital. I was like, no, I don't. I have a day. I was like, I have stuff right. to do. I'm fine. <laughs> like, I felt fine. Like, you know, I said, yeah. literally, the hospital is literally around the corner from my doctor's office. They said, in your car and drive there or we're calling an ambulance. So I said, okay. Wow. I made my wow. phone calls. I got in the car and I went to the hospital. Nothing else I could do. And during and all the, you're, are you working during all of this? I was. So I had off that day when I was at the doctor's office, I called my boss and I said, I'm in the hospital. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I'm not sure what's going on. Da, da, da. And they were fine. Don't worry about it. Take care of yourself. So I went, I called my mother and I said, do not come back. She's going to make me more nervous. I said, I'll call you. Always. Uh, oh, That's famous last words. Do not come. Yeah. I called my husband. I said, when you are done with work, go home, take a shower, come to the hospital. There's nothing anybody could do for me at this point. So they were basically... And they didn't, they didn't tell you what they're, they're going to do? Or do you know at this point what... No, well, they told about? me it was preeclampsia. At, well, they, they felt like preeclampsia. And they wanted to see what they could do. Like, if they'd stop it, if they... You know, they didn't know I was going to be in the hospital the rest of the time. They didn't know what. They just knew that they were not going to let me go home with protein in my urine and a high blood pressure. So they were... They decided to do a 24-hour urine to get a baseline for my protein. So they did that. I saw the MFMs every day. Yes, I was in the hospital. Um, low sodium diet. They're like sleep on your left side. You name it. So I was like stuck in bed. I'm like, okay. They did the baseline protein and they would do blood work every day to check like my platelets, everything. Blood work normally came back normal. The protein was going up, 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 up. And we hit, I think, I was in the hospital for about a week. We hit like, I started off maybe a little under 2,000, I was up to 5,000. And my MFM said to me, we have to stop. I said, stop what? He's like, the pregnancy. He's like, you are borderline about to have a stroke or lose, lose a kidney. He's like, you are at five. That like, you know, your number is escalating. It's doubling like every couple days. He said, you're not going to survive this. So I said to him, do what you need to do. I'll stay in this hospital 
And I think he was like at this point telling my husband, like, you have to tell her this is it. Like there, he said, we're not going to be able to save you. He's like, it is escalating so quickly. And I just looked at him like, I, I think I just started crying. I didn't know what to do with myself. So I, I think I begged him any, I said, I don't care. Put me in a induced coma, whatever you can do to save this baby. And there was no option. There's no option. We can't, there was nothing. He said, listen to me. He goes, the higher your protein goes up, he goes, the quicker, the sicker you're getting. And he said, all it's going to lead to is either a stroke or kidney loss and you're going to be on dialysis. And it's not, and he's like, it's not even choosing between the two of you. It's you both die, right? There's, yeah. yeah. Because especially it started at like 17 weeks. He's like, it's just so early. He's and at this point, they're trying to get me to 24 weeks. That was their goal. Just get me to 24 weeks by 19 weeks. That's when my numbers were like at 5,000. So he said to, he came in and said, I, I can't, he goes, we can't let you go on anymore because you're not going to make it. And my husband said to me, he goes, you have to stay around. Like, you know, and he knew, like he was just trying to say anything to me and nothing he could say was making me feel better. So I, I finally, I accept, I mean, I didn't accept it. I had to accept it. And he went over everything with me. He said they were going to do a D and E and the, Apparently there's only a very few doctors in the state that do it because they do it. It's like a second trimester loss or inducing labor. So I said to him, uh, because I couldn't make a decision. Like I just cried the whole time. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, what would you tell your daughter? Not even your wife, but your daughter. And he said, I would have her do a DNA. She goes to sleep and it's over. And he said, we can induce labor. And he goes, you could be in labor for a day. He's like, you be miserable. It's heartbreaking. He's like, I don't want that for you. So I said, fine. We agreed to do it on a Friday because that way I have a couple days, you know, my husband could be there Saturday and Sunday. Everything was set. I mean, I just, and then I was just in the hospital crying. You know, my friends came, they were trying to comfort me, but I was like, basically, there's not like, you know, they would basically just like knock me out. I was just like a zombie. So the day came and they had to do like a couple of procedures beforehand. And all of a sudden I was in excruciating pain. I was supposed to, we were supposed to do it at three o'clock and I think it was like 12 o'clock and I'm on the phone with my friend and I'm like doubled over in pain. I didn't know what was wrong. I hung up, I called my husband crying. I got out of bed and I'm bleeding. And I was like, what is going on? And then I realized I was having contractions. Oh my God. Oh my God. Every couple of minutes I was doubling over in pain. The nurses came, the doctors came, my water broke. It was a mess. I had to deliver right there in the room by myself. It was, I didn't get to the DNA. I had, I didn't know what to, I cried through everything. You never got to the DNA. I was like, I, they're just trying to get me to breathe and push. And I just kept crying. I couldn't focus. And then I, they gave me a shot of something to calm me down. My husband showed up. And I was just a zombie and it was probably the worst experience I've ever been through. Was he, he was going to come for the DNA, So he was probably planning on being there, just not for a few more hours. Is that? He was, he was, I said, go to work, leave work around 12 or one, go take a shower and just be here at two 30. Cause it was supposed to be three o'clock. And cause we had it all set up. So, I mean, he left work and he rushed over, but you know, there was nothing. So that was the end of that. And I mean, it was a big mess. It took me a long time. You know, 
to function. I still, 10 years later, I'm still hurt. I say, I, I'm, cry, I'm crying right here. So I apologize. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a moment here. Um, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, my friends were so supportive. My best friend was working out in California, flew home for a week to take care of me. Wow. That's so she didn't leave my side for a week, which was good because I can only take so much of my husband. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> my best friend's been there since we were sick. <laughs> like, so she took care of me and I had to get back to my life eventually. And my friends were like, I don't know how you are like getting out of bed. I said, because the longer I stay in bed, the worse I get. And I said, if I don't get out of my bed, I said, I mean, I would be in Target and I'd pass the baby out or crying, but I had to force myself out of bed and do things. Otherwise it was going to be a deeper depression. Yeah. So I, I mean, good for you that you could do that. Some people recognize that, but can't even do anything like, even though they know, but you know, I, I probably still cried every day. Every time I found out someone else is having a baby, you know, I didn't cry to them because no one's a life cop. This is it. No, but no. I'd call my husband and cry. <laughs> So that was the deal. Um, my RE said, we absolutely cannot try again because this next time will, you'll certainly get preeclampsia again since it happened so early. And he's the one that said to me, let's look into surrogacy. So I said, okay, I had some time, you know, a little time to make money and a little time just to get into that frame of mind because I was gonna say, it's, too it's a totally different mental space. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people who will call me and say, Hey, I the Ari just told me. And I said, that's great. I'll tell you how, how this works. And I'll talk to you in a year and a half or two years, you know, cause it takes a long time to get your mental space right after something, you know, for surrogacy. Yeah. We waited a few years just, you know, I mean, not only the financial saving update for all totally out of pocket, but just, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready so we started looking. I did not. I knew what surrogacy was. I knew traditional versus gestational. I knew about all. And just curious, how, how did you know about it? Did you know others had been through it, or no? Um, I was in New Jersey, which the famous maybe um, traditional surrogacy case. Okay, so yes. I knew yeah. about traditional surrogacy from that, and then just like you know, I guess learning about all that. Then I learned about gestational surrogacy. So I guess being from New Jersey helped. Right. And the, the refresher for our listeners, like Baby M was like the most infamous, like famous surrogacy case back in the 1980s when a woman went through a traditional surrogacy where she was pregnant with her own genetics, but um, for another couple. And then she tried to run away with a baby. She definitely changed her mind, ran away with a baby. There was a long court case and a change in law making surrogacy illegal in New Jersey. So it was, it was a huge deal. So yes, all from baby M I had known about surrogacy. Um, so we just started looking at agencies in New Jersey. I knew I was a newbie. I didn't know about looking anywhere else. I thought you look in your backyard. Like, and so that's what I did. Right, right. And yeah. the first place I called was an agency in New Jersey. And, you know, the owner was a former I am. I'm like, great. I was like, you know, she'll be compassionate. She's been through it. And I hung up the phone so disappointed. I was like, whoa. I just felt like it was not just expensive, but it was just like, okay, and this is, you're going to pay this and da, da, da. And there was no compassion behind anything. And I was just like, this can't be. And I was like, she, she did this. She had a baby through surrogacy. So that put me off surrogacy for a few more months because I just 
couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I felt like a number, not like a person. So my mother was who needed to be a grandmother. And I'm an only child. So the only grandchildren were coming from me. Started looking, you know, she was Googling things. And she said to me, well, went overseas. And I said, no. I said, I already have to give up some type of control to this. I said, there's no way I'm going overseas. And I don't, I can't be there. I don't know what's going on. I'm not going overseas. And she's like, fair enough. So she started looking and she found an agency in Pennsylvania. The agency fee was like $6,000 because she just started the agency. She was a former surrogate. Great. So we said, can we come and meet you? Sure. We met her. There was a lawyer there and everything sounded great. Like, okay, great. Like, you know, I was just eager to start. I told her what we were looking for. I wanted to be within a five-hour driving distance. We wanted to transfer to because, you know, what did I know about, like, the risk of twins at that point? Nothing. Like, you know, well, and, and at that I point. I will say that, that that has changed a lot even in the past it two, has. three, four years. Yeah. Because we started this, like, 2012, 2013. So transferring two was still pretty normal back then. So... I said, we want to transfer two embryos. I want to be like in a five hour driving distance. I, we want to be in the delivery room. We would like someone who, you know, is okay having communication, like at least a weekly communication. Great. So she's like, I have someone in South oh, Carolina. She said, I have someone in South Carolina for you. And I was like, mm, yeah, that's not a five that's hours. Not a five. She's perfect for you. Oh, and we also wanted to terminate if we felt it was necessary, not for gender, not for a cosmetic issue, but for anything big. And we had made our embryos before PGS testing. So they were, and they were probably frozen for six years, seven years at this point. So we didn't know what was coming out and we had used a bunch of the good embryos already. So, you know, this is what we wanted. Okay, with termination, five-hour drive, letting us be in the delivery room, communication. So she tells me she has someone in South Carolina. And I'm like, mm, that's, you know, don't worry. Fly there for appointments, da-da-da. Okay, whatever. I, I need to find a surrogate. I want to have a baby. So you agree? Everything. South Carolina. I did. I agreed because she kept telling me how great it was, how great it was, how great. She's my perfect match. Okay. So I talked to her and the surrogate was very nice. We got along very well. We talked a lot. We got up to the point of contracts and it was Memorial Day weekend. I get a call from the agency owner. She was on vacation with her son and she said to me, I got a call. Your surrogate's in the hospital. She had a panic attack. She decided she could not terminate if push came to shove. And I started crying. So I said, what does this mean? She's like, she is backing out. She can't do this. So I just lost all this time and any money I had put into this already was gone. Say, that's a lot of money by that point because you've gone through medical screening and you've already paid the attorneys if you're illegal. Yes. So I was a mess. I just started crying. She said, I will find you someone new. So I think maybe a couple months went by and she found me someone in Maryland, which you know, closer. Yeah. Yes. It was closer, much closer. She lined up with everything. She was nice. We got along. We made it to transfer. Um, first pregnancy test came back low, like 28 or 30. So I was like, Oh, it's a chemical. So I said, I read low positive, right? Yes. <laughs> and I said to my surrogate, it's a chemical, you know, most likely it's not going anywhere. 
and she's very positive. Don't, it might go up. So I said, okay, it's a chemical. Two days later, she texts me, can you call me? Yeah, of course. She said, I'm in the hospital. I was like, what happened? I passed out at work. I have a blood clot in my lung. <gasps> So now I start crying. I was like, oh my God, are you, you know, I think you're all the estrogen and everything. Are you okay? What's going on? I was a mess. She said they're doing another pregnancy test. It went up, not high. It was like maybe 39, 40, like, you know, it didn't go up that much. I said to her, take whatever medicine you need. This pregnancy is not going anywhere. The numbers are not high. They're not doubling. It's a chemical. You have to take care of yourself. I called my RE to let him know. He called the ER where she was at and said, can you just us over the records for when she came in? And she okayed it. My RE called me a couple days later and said, we need to talk. I said, okay. He said, I'm like, what's going on? Uh-oh. I, I know. Guess, I was always, like, if somebody bad, texts you and asks to talk, like, if the doctor says we need to talk, no, just, I, was I, like, I don't even know. Nobody should say they need to talk ever. Right? <laughs> no. I said, what's going on? And he said, we were going over the files. And when she was giving her medical history to the emergency room doctor, she told him that she had blood clots previously and she was on medicine for like nine months. Wow. I was like, what? Me so yes, if you are having any type of blood clots, we um, all know estrogen, the birth control yeah, pill, you cannot take it. Yeah. Oh, wow. The RE went back in to all of her paperwork. It was not in her prenatal records because it had happened after and she had gone to the hospital. So there was nothing in her prenatal records. So of course I was but like, she, maybe she was the question just never asked. The I mean, question was asked. Like but a, what happened was they uh, went back like, she when she went there, she had to fill out new patient paperwork and on the front, have you ever been hospitalized? She checked. No. She was, she went to the hospital for blood clots. So, and one of the first questions they ask you is, have you ever had an issue with the birth control pill? And she said, no. So in the meantime, I get a letter from her lawyer. She wants compensation because technically she was pregnant. She had a confirmed pregnancy. But not by heartbeat, right? No, but just the numbers. I said, you have got to be kidding me. So my lawyer wrote back, no, she then goes to sue me. I am now paying a lawyer money to stop this. What finally, yes, this is ridiculous. What finally stopped it was my RE got involved, said all over the files, the file that said that she had blood clots previously and the copy of her saying she was never admitted to the hospital for anything. Once her lawyer got a hold of that and told, I guess, her, my former surrogate, she stopped looking for money. So that was yeah. I was saying because you could be turning around and asking for all that and other money did you, back. Did you, you know, think about suing her. Like to I did. I talked to yeah, the lawyer. So messy. And she said to me, "I would, but we have never had a case like this before. I don't know how it's going to go, and you could be out ten thousand dollars and not see a dime back and never get anything." Yeah, and of that's course. what she said to me. She said, "If I." If we had done this before, if there had been a precedent, I would definitely say, let's do it. Because I do not want to take your money and have you lose $10,000. And I got, I understood. So now I was out a few thousand dollars for... How did you feel about the agency at this point? Because they, obviously they didn't know, right? But They did not know about that. I could not blame them for that. Um, I, at this point, was, I wasn't thrilled with the agency at this point. But now we are moving on to another surrogate. And 
at this point I became so, number three. Okay. Very picky. I said, I am, I am not just taking anybody. So she sent me, she would send me a profile and I would look at it. Sometimes I would turn it down and sometimes I would say, okay, I'll have a phone call. And the first phone call I had, the person was nice, but she didn't have a car and she was, her friend was transitioning and That's she was a red flag. Right. No, the, was, no, no car. Not having a car. Yes. <laughs> that was bad timing. Yeah, that- she was worried about her friend. She was going to be her friend's support system for transitioning. So I said to the agency, while that's all great, I'm glad she's supportive of that. I think the surrogacy and transitioning are two huge things. She cannot be someone's support system as she's going through a surrogacy. So I said no to that. She sent me someone else who I turned down right away. And then another profile who seemed good on paper. It was nice on the phone, but the grammar was bad. So when she would text me, it was just, I, and I just knew I was not going to deal with that for over a year. So at this point, my agency told me I was being too picky. And I said, sorry, after two bad surrogates, I'll be as picky as I want to be. And I was a little annoyed. She was telling me I was being too picky. So she sent me another one. I liked it on paper. We talked on the phone for about three hours. We really got along well. So we decided to meet up. And we did. She lived two and a half, three hours away from me. So we met halfway, probably sometime in November. And we had lunch and we went shopping, like we were doing Christmas shopping. And we decided to work with each other. We got along very, very well. She was easygoing. I liked her. Um, during this whole thing, my surrogate was great. We still keep in contact. We had lunch maybe a month ago. I brought the girls up. My husband came with me. And we met up to see oh, her. Spoiler alert. Oh, oh wait. We got to spoiler sorry, alert. There. Sorry. <laughs> we, we can go back. But, um. No, that's okay. <laughs> it's a good spoiler. During the surrogacy, um, everything worked out great. But the communication with my agency was abysmal. I would text, like, an important question. I'm busy. I'll call you in an hour. So I was like, okay, by five o'clock, I knew if she wasn't getting to, back to me by five, I wasn't getting a phone call. And then I would text her at 5.30, oh, I'll call you tomorrow. So sometimes then I would call my surrogate be like, do you know the answer to this? Like sometimes it was as simple as we were waiting for the life insurance policy. And she's like, oh yeah, this is what's going on. Or my surrogate would call me and said, I didn't hear back. Could you let me know? Sure. So we had almost just cut out the agency and we would just ask each other any important questions because we weren't getting any results. She told my surrogate that she was going to introduce her to other surrogates. She never did. So, you know, my surrogate would just ask me questions because she wasn't in any of the groups. She knew I was so, and that I had been through this with, you know, my previous surrogate. So she would just ask me and, you know, we got along great. We, everything went, I mean, contracts went smoothly because we had already agreed upon everything. I think there was like one change and that was it. Like, you know, I didn't care. Oh, that's um, incredible. So, so you got to, so obviously that means you got through medical screening, we got, you got through, through medical, legal, so like that went smoothly and then you went to a transfer. We got so, through legal. Were you still on, still on team double embryo transfer at that point? We were. So because my embryos at this point were like a three AB, like we were like scraping the bottom of the barrel of embryos. So even like the RE said, I can see transferring too. So great. So my surrogate was fine with transferring too. We get there and we're waiting and all of a sudden two women walk out and they were the embryologists. And she said, okay, em- embryos thawed, everything's okay. We're going to tell you now. We were a little worried. I'm like, 
why? And she said, my embryos are frozen the old fashioned way. And the directions from my, cause I had moved embryos to a different clinic. So she said to me, you know, we were following the directions, but we were nervous. She's like, we flipped a coin, coin to see who was going to do this. And they said, that's how worried we were. She goes, but everything worked out. So she goes, now we can tell you. So I said, okay, we did the transfer. They transferred to surrogate. It was great. And then, um, she went back, I think four or five days later for blood work for just the progesterone check. Everything was good. I of course gave her a buttload of, uh, first response tests so I could watch the lines. <laughs> so I said to her starting at five days after do like one in the morning and one 12 hours later at night. She's like, okay. She's like, whatever. She sent me pictures. And at five days we saw the line. So I was like, oh my God, my husband would still, he said, don't get too excited. We don't know where this is going to lead. He just could not get on board. I was excited. I had to get on board with it. So she went for her first test. And because she worked in a hospital, she was able to get the results like an hour after. So she would text me all the results. I would then call my coordinator and we used um, RMA of Philadelphia. We had Dr. Gutman, who, let me tell you, was a fantastic RE. She called me one day just to check on me, see how I was doing. Which I was like, oh my God, what's wrong? She's like, nothing. I just want to see how you are. I'm like, (laughs) really? She's like, yeah, just see if you have any questions. I was like, Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Why are you really fun? <laughs> yeah. So Dana funny. was our nurse coordinator and she was fantastic. So I called her and I said, Dana, my sorrow got the results because she works, you know, and everything is like connected because they send some of those to her hospital, the blood tests to have them run there. So I sent her the results because she didn't even have them yet. And she goes, everything's good. She's definitely pregnant. So I was like, oh, I think it was... We did our first pregnancy test 10 days after, and it was like 185. So I was like, okay, great. Da, da, da. I was like, terrific. They did a placement ultrasound at like five and a half weeks, which I couldn't go for. It was the only one I couldn't go for, but they videotaped it for me, and there was one sec. And I said, great, it's been 10 years in the making. I'll take, I'll take one. I don't care. So I was just happy that there was one in a good spot. Yeah. Right. We went back, right. I think, right. around six and a half, seven weeks for the heartbeat confirmation. So we're in the room with me, my surrogate, the nurse, Ari, we're all there. There's the heartbeat, nice and strong. I was like, okay, great. I could breathe. And the Ari said to me, how many did you want? And I said, well, we transferred two. And I said, only, you know, there's one for the placement. And he said, well, there's a second heartbeat. I thought the other sack, I was like, is the other sack hiding behind the first sack? And he said, no. And I was like, what? And at that point, I realized that the embryo split. All of a sudden, the my surrogate didn't realize what was going on yet, but the nurse and my surrogate looked at me and said, are you okay? Because I think I went pale white and my jaw was just like hanging there because as soon as they said no, it just, everything went through my head. Oh my God, it split. Oh, identical right. twins. <laughs> so that's when the doctor, Ari confirmed, yeah, it split, it's identical. And at this point they were Momo twins, which is extremely dangerous. So I was in shock. I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. Do you, do you want to explain what that what that is and why it's dangerous? So with 
Momo twins, there is two babies in one sack. And what happens is with those pregnancies, if you make it to 24 to 26 weeks, they hospitalize you because there's like such a good chance of cords wrapping around the other baby's neck because they're both in one sack and there's nothing to prevent these cords from wrapping around the other baby's neck. So what they do is they hospitalize you 24 to 26 weeks and they automatically do a C-section at 32 weeks and take the babies out because it just becomes riskier. So a lot of times the pregnancy starts off as a Momo pregnancy and turns into a Modi where there's a membrane still in one sac, a thin little membrane, but it separates them. So they're still sharing one placenta, but... Yes. So I have a little divider barrier. <laughs> so every week we're going back and there's no membrane. There's no membrane. So I am nerves, nerves. I was like, oh my God. So now I hadn't told my mom yet. So I'm like, I got to, I'm like running off. I'm leaving my house. I like to crack the dawn. I was like, I have to tell her what's going on. So I finally told her she is crying. Like, she's like, oh my God. She was so happy. No one knew. I think it was just my husband and my best friends. They were the only ones that knew everything that was going on because I just couldn't bear the, if it didn't work out, the I'm sorry's. I didn't want to deal with it. So no one knew. I think I called after we were at the RE's office and we found out it was twins. I called my husband right away and then I called my best friends and there was, um, a lot of cursing going on. (laughs) (laughs) No effing way. I will keep my potty mouth <laughs> shut but <laughs> there's two she's like <laughs> a lot of right. going on. She couldn't believe it. Explicit. so I finally told my mom and at nine weeks we were at the doctor and he said there's the membrane and he said I gotta tell you it's very early sometimes people don't see the membrane oh, until yay. 18 weeks he's like you found it very early vehicle I'm like oh I am thankful because it was this like stress. I mean, it's still a high risk pregnancy because they're sharing one placenta. So there's twin to twin transfusion, transfusion syndrome, sorry, and taps, all these things that they look for in the babies. They, a lot of monitoring to make sure that one isn't taking all the nutrients. So we were at the MFM twice a month in the beginning and knock on wood, she had an easy pregnancy. I mean, it was great. And they, the RE, the RE, the MFM, everybody tells you when it is a MODI pregnancy, you have to deliver between 36 weeks and 36.6 because after that, the placenta starts to deteriorate. And that's very specific. Wow. It is. Yeah. Yeah. By 37 weeks, they want those babies out because that's when the placenta really starts to break down. So, she had already had two previous C-sections, so we knew it was going to be a C-section. So it was planned for 36 weeks, four days. Perfect. Um, we came up the night before because we had to be at the hospital early. And nice and easy, baby A, Chelsea was born at 11.27 a.m. And Miranda, baby B, came 11.29 a.m. We were born on a Thursday, home on a Sunday. Wow, that's great. That's really nice. Yeah. And did you, like, that was deserved. Like, everything you've been through, like, you deserve those babies to come out healthy and to go home early for them to sleep with them. easy, right? (laughs) Miranda was in the NICU for, like, 36 hours because my 
surrogate um, got gestational diabetes towards the end, but it was all controlled with diet. She had, there was no insulin, nothing. Her numbers were great when she controlled her diet. So they figured that the gestational diabetes affected Miranda's sugar, but she was literally like, what they do is like the three strikes you're out, like with her sugars. So she would have a bad sugar, a good sugar, and then it starts over. So they were, it was Thursday morning they were born. It was less than 24 hours. It was Friday morning, probably like five in the morning, and her sugars were getting a little wonky. And I said to the nurse, take her to the queue now. And she's like, what? I said, we're going home as a family. <laughs> I was like, get yes. this under control. And she's like, are you sure? I go, yes, do it now. So they did. The NICU team yeah, came it, up. It's baby better. Yeah. yeah, the NICU team came up, and they took her down around 6. The NICU doctor came up around 6.05 and said to me, at seven o'clock, we change shifts. If you could just wait to come down at eight, I said, that's fine. So I came down every three hours to feed her, you know, to change her, to hold her, to do all that. My husband would go down. We would take turns. So by Saturday night at 7 p.m., she was back with us. And then Sunday we went home. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And how, how old are your girls now? They will be four November 20th. Yay. Oh, I love it. Yes. Ugh. So that is the story of getting my girls here. They are, amazing and now they are wild cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah, it's like when you're probably he's like tearing your hair out, you're like, I worked so hard for you though. So I'm going to be thankful for yes. even these worst moments. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I said, I paid a lot of money for you guys. (laughs) Exactly. So, so, you know, you, you've been through so much. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, one of the the way I've, I've interacted with you is through social media and things like that. How did, did your journey, how did that translate to you being active on social media and, and really that the advocate that you have, that you have become for so many? Okay. So during the whole surrogacy thing, I found all these Facebook groups and I started joining all of them, all of the groups you could join. I was in them. (laughs) I ended up in a transfer group, which was great. It was a very small group. I was in, you know, you name it, an IP only group, a transfer group, the big groups to get knowledge where I just read, read. And this is where I learned about going indie versus agency. I didn't even know you could go indie. I was like, wow, this is great. So (laughs) I sat back and just read and read and took it all in. And I would watch some of these train wrecks happen. And I'd watch these great services happen. And I was just amazed at some of this. And then I was watching people and they were complaining about their agencies or saying how great their agencies are for this reason and this reason. And I just became so invested, partly because I was so disappointed in my agency. I didn't want someone else to go through that. So I would try to help give any tips I could. And I was just learning more and more and more. And I became friends with surrogates that, you know, the experienced surrogates, the ones that, you know, weren't asking $50,000 for a surrogacy the first time, the ones that were there to help a family and they got compensation at, you know, a normal base compensation that helped with, you know, sending their kids to college later or paying off, you know, their house or buying a car. And I am very good friends with a lot of these surrogates and some IPs I'm very, very close with. And we formed like these great relationships. And then I decided to start the surrogacy agency review board so people can go and leave reviews about 
their agency, a reproductive lawyer, a clinic, someone they loved or someone they hated, but not just like, oh, I didn't like them. You know, they were horrible. But like, why? Like, I I wasn't, I didn't like my agency because the communication was so there was no communication. It was horrible. Like I, it was like a bait and switch in the beginning when she was wooing me. I felt like, oh my god, okay, she's gonna be on top of this, and she wasn't. Like days would go by without a phone call, and that to me was not acceptable. She, my agency, waited ten days to get in contact with my surrogate after she delivered, which I just thought was crazy. She asked me over and over for pictures of my kids. I wasn't giving her a picture of my kid. You didn't earn that. Sorry. So I started this agency review group because I wanted, you know, IPs and targets to avoid the bad agencies, to look for the good agencies, to see why. Because there are some agencies, and I'm not going to name anybody, that they're being sued. They're, you know, I mean, the ethics are not there. They're taking people on, you know, Medicaid. They're taking people with a BMI where they're morbidly obese. And this is not how you should be running an agency. You know, surrogates are being a lot of bills unpaid. So I just, I couldn't believe this. Like, you know, this was ridiculous. This is not how surrogacy should be. And I felt like there are more bad agencies than good agencies out there. So we started this group and, you know, people are joining and they're leaving the reviews and yes, agencies are getting mad. Other agencies are saying, wow, maybe we should change this or let's do this differently, which is great. Like some agencies were really taking, listening and taking advice. It was great. Yeah. So what are your tips on, on people, you know, if anybody is looking for an agency or things like that, what are the big, you know, I mean, obviously we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours on what makes a good agency versus a bad agency. But I mean, what are your, your big takeaways, either pros and like top, cons? Top yeah. three. Yeah. Top two. Oh my God. Ask for reviews from IPs and surrogates. But if you're an IP, you want to hear from the IPs because a surrogate could have a great experience where the IP was like, mm, I was left high dry. Like my agency was pro surrogate they were always on their side like get the like talk to people find out how it went for them you know and not agencies are going to have bad and good reviews you don't want the bad ones outweighing the good ones it shouldn't even be 50 50 but if there are bad reviews it doesn't make it a bad agency not everybody is going to be happy you cannot please everybody but look out for like are the surrogates being left with bills you know, what is going, you don't want your surrogate left with bills. If that is a repeat thing going on, that is not the agency you want to go to. You want to see that there's good communication, that they are there for the IP and the surrogate, that there's like a balance there that's supporting both of them. I mean, there's just so much to look out for. I mean, look up, have they been sued before? Because you'd be surprised. A lot of them are being sued and they are still, you know, taking people. Although to be fair, you were almost sued. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. I mean. Yes, I was uh, almost sued. sued Sometimes too, but but yeah. Yes, Yes, I, I got friends for slander a few times, but 
Listen. Oh, no, wait, what? What? oh no, I meant with your gestational carrier when she had oh, oh, yeah. No, no, oh, I'm talking about no. Oh, I'm, I'm talking about the agency review group. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I got there were, oh, there was lawsuits on that. Oh, that's crazy. Oh. Um, a few of my members I never received anything, but some of the members actually did receive cease and desist letters from agencies. For reviews that they left. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was not good. Yeah. So I had a couple agency owners threaten me. They were going to call the police on me. Okay, great. I'll give you the the phone number because, you know, if we have proof that you're doing something wrong, it's not slander. (laughs) Like, I I understand what slander is. My next door neighbor is a judge. You know, I run it by him and he's like, well, And now I mean, it seems like you're in a really good position because you, you know, all this amazing experience being able to help everyone and your state, which we, we mentioned baby M had this terrible case, but just changed the law. So it used to be that surrogacy was not permitted in New Jersey. And now it has a nice supportive statute for those in New Jersey who want to. May 30th. Yay. Yes. So on May 30th, our governor signed the bill and it went into effect right away. I know like in Washington, it's changing all but they have to wait until January. Right. So that's he exciting. Signed, so, yes. He Are signed you seeing a lot of change already? I am. I'm seeing people interested. I'm seeing a lot of New York IPs happy that, oh my God, we can find the surrogates right, so close. New, I said, you know. Because New York is still not no, permitted for New York. Ugh, I'm hoping they change. So <laughs> what I did was. I had met Megan Hall, who owns Soro Connections, in my transfer group. So I have known Megan for like five years. I messaged her and I said, what do you think about doing a seminar in New Jersey? And she's like, yeah, definitely. You know, I'll come. Yeah. I like Megan. I like Soro Connections. They get, they got really great reviews from IPs and surrogates. You know, everybody was happy. So I was like, okay, yeah, this great. is terrific. So she said, would you help me out with certain things? Cause she doesn't know New Jersey. I'm like, yeah, of course. So she asked me for like, you know, a good place near New York, but in New Jersey, I'm like Hoboken, it's right there. <laughs> it's great. So she's like, okay. She's like, would you come? I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely, you know, give you a hand. Yeah. So she brought out her staff and there were some reproductive endocrinologists and we had, you know, the lawyer there and we met with, you know, a bunch of IP. Lawyers. What? Sorry, that was me cheering for lawyers. Lawyers, I'm a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, lawyers. So, go on, sorry. I said, you know, I'll help you. And after that, Megan said, do you want to join my team as, you know, the IP support and case manager? I'm like, really? She's like, yes. Yeah. So I was like, at that point, she was handling all the IPs and she had someone that was dealing with egg donors and she had like three people dealing with surrogates. So she's like, you're going to be perfect for this. So I said, let me think about it because I then have to step down from the agency review group because that just wouldn't be ethical for me to work for an agency. So she's like, okay. So I talked with my husband, I talked with my friend and I'm like, I do this anyway. My husband's like, you're always doing this. So <laughs> I get paid for it. I accepted her offer and I stepped down from the agency review group. And I, I had to explain on the group because when you start a group, you're an admin and you have this little badge. And even though I stepped down, I can't get rid of that admin badge to save my life. So I put a big disclaimer up there that, yes, I have admin badge. I am not an admin. You cannot come to me with anything. So 
I have been working for Megan for Thorough Connections since August 22nd. And it's great. I love it. I love helping IPs. You know, it's great. Like, you know, and I still, you know, where there's IPs will still come to me that are new and, you know, they don't want to go through an agency and that's fine. I'll give them advice and I'll help them because no one should have to, you know, not be without a family. Everybody deserves to have a family. So I will do whatever I can to help people. And I love, I love surrogacy. It gave me my kids. Like, you know, surrogacy is great. And you went through so much. We really appreciate you being willing to be so open and share everything you've gone through, especially given how heartbreaking. I mean, just having the courage to, to retell that takes a lot. That even like I feel a little heartbroken listening to part of it, but I'm so happy there was a happy ending and a double happy ending and a triple happy ending that you're now helping others. So I, I just want to say a huge thank you for willing to, to share that and come talk with us. Thank you, Melissa. We appreciate it so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Lesson of the day. Um, I I love Melissa's openness and sharing everything. And I think one thing that's amazing that comes from it is seeing how we can take our personal experiences and how she took her experience and really help others. And I think she's just done an amazing job of, um, you know, before she she ultimately came to, to help in a professional capacity, she was just out there on Facebook pages and starting ones to, to give advice and be there for people um, and who could learn from what she'd been through. And I think that was just an amazing thing that that anyone of any of us can go through a long and terrible story and um, experience and we can, we can be there and help others from it. So, yeah. Thanks, no, absolutely. Yay. I mean, and not long and terrible, but we do love to learn from people and what you really enjoy hearing. So anybody who has feedback for us on iTunes or via email, or if you want to give us a call at our number at 303-997-1903, we really do love hearing your feedback. Uh, it it, it kind of makes us feel like rock stars, quite honestly, when people say something to us, because we're like, what? You actually listen and to pre- us? Preferably not long and terrible reviews, as you mentioned, but I did read a study that said um, people trust bad review. So, people, sorry. people people look for companies with bad reviews because I know that they're real. Are, so, are you actually encouraging so, people to give us bad reviews? What are you doing? Maybe. Maybe if it's just like, oh, they're too good. One, one star. Uh, no? No, no. I, I, I'm oh, not okay. encouraging people to, to okay. lie and give us bad reviews. Right. I, I, I don't know. Fine. Okay. No. So thank you very much for listening. We do appreciate it. And always thank you to Chris at Work at Bridge Studios who makes us sound awesome or at least as awesome as we're allowed to sound so thanks chris and thank you all for listening 